So we, uh, we've been in a, uh, a sermon series in the book of Exodus, and I was thinking about it this morning, and uh, I honestly didn't think that our sermon series to this point was going to be a whole lot of encouragement and sunshine and butterflies, but it's actually been a very encouraging series so far, and um, I think God's just moving in that direction with this sermon series. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Pat spoke about these, these fears Right, and how the Israelites had to go through this this time and this period of, of fear, and we saw that they were not only fearing Pharaoh, but they had to overcome that and they had to realize that a healthy fear of God was was the direction they needed to head in. So we saw that last year. They had this fear and they had to overcome it, and God did in a really amazing feat in helping them get through that, literally through the Red Sea. And, and we saw that here. So what we're going to see this morning as we get into this next section of the book of Exodus and this series we've been doing is we've been trying to take a large kind of survey approach um, because we'd be here probably for the next three years if we did section by section. And we've done that before, but we don't want to necessarily do that again. Um, but we're, we're, we're starting to see this, this theme occur, and you'll see this throughout probably all, really all, all several of uh, Moses' books, but this theme of Israel groaning and grumbling and complaining before God during this wilderness march. So we're going to start to see that this morning. We're going to be in chapter 15, starting at verse 22, and we'll take that through all the way through chapter 18 this morning if you're following along. And I was thinking about this idea of challenges, and that was one of the first things that popped into my brain when I read over this section last week. And I was thinking about last weekend, the uh, San Francisco 49ers, they were playing against the Philadelphia Eagles and the NFC Championship game. And what they had to do is they came in with their third-string quarterback, a guy named Brock Purdy, who was nicknamed Mr. Irrelevant because he was the last pick of the NFL draft the year he came in. So Brock Purdy had to come in as the third-string quarterback, somehow got his team through the playoffs, got his team into the playoffs to start with, and then got him to the championship game. In the first half of that game, he injured his elbow, his throwing elbow. Later, is revealed they had a torn UCL. So he 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 had to go out, bringing in the fourth-string quarterback, a guy who was literally with 17 different teams in the league, and he was a journeyman. He was in the league for a long time. They brought him in. Guess what happened to him? He got injured too. So the next person on the depth chart was a running back. So they technically and literally had no quarterback going into this, you know, the I think the third or fourth quarter. Brock Purdy ended up coming back in, finished the game. Of course, it wasn't enough to overcome this challenge that they had in this game. And I was thinking about my own professional career in sports. Back in 2014, I had to overcome a lot of obstacles too. In my adult recreational softball league, I tore my meniscus, and I had to cut my career short. I had to retire at that point. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> in all seriousness, no, there, there's every career that we're in, every time, every, every battle we go through, marriage, 
career, schooling, all of these things, there's always going to be challenges that we face. And it's important to understand that we are going to face challenges. I'm looking around this room, and there are several of you right here in this room that faced a lot of challenges just last week, as recent as this weekend, right? So there's a lot of challenges that we face each and every day through this journey that we take. So what is it that we need to remember? It's really how we handle it, and it's really how we face them and the manner in which we do that. So that's what we're hopefully going to do this morning. We're going to kind of go through this, these challenges that the Israelites went through, and we're going to see how they handle these things. And they had to deal with several, several challenges before they got to Mount Sinai. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I want to start with our main idea, and then we're going to kind of take it from that point on. Our main idea this morning is in all of life's challenges... You're not alone. In all of life's challenges, you're not alone. And I, I, I for, forgive me in advance, you all have a lot of work to do with your bulletin inserts. There's a lot of fill in the blanks today, but you'll hopefully see why that's important there. So what we're going to do is we're going to see that there's five challenges in this section of Scripture. There's these five challenges. We're going to look at three things for each of those five sections. We're going to look at what the challenge was. We're going to look at what the result or the response was, and we're going to see what the result was of each of these. And we're going to take them one by one, and hopefully we can use that, and it's going to help us to kind of go through this entire flow of the text. So let's get started with the first challenge. The first challenge we see is bitter water. Bitter water. And this is what we see in verses uh, 22 and 23 of chapter 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and when they went into the wilderness of Shur, they went in three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Morah, they could not drink the water of Morah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Morah. I think that's actually pronounced Mara. So they, we, and, and the response is found in verse 24, which reads, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, I'm no medical expert, and we'll get to that in just a second, but the first response is grumble, right? They grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against Moses, so that first response was grumble. And, and what we see is that Moses takes this issue directly to the Lord, and that's the theme we'll see throughout here. Uh, so in verses 25 and 26 of 15, we read these words, and he cried to the Lord, he being Moses, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and therefore he tested them, saying, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do which is right in his eyes, and give ear to the commandments, and of all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. So that's what we see here. So the Lord provided an immediate solution to this issue. He provided an immediate thing. And he reveals the reason right away as well. You probably caught it. I did emphasize it when I read the verse. But that reason is found at the end of verse 25. God says they tested them. So this was an immediate test of the people of Israel with this challenge in life. 
I saw this quote this week. I'm going to paraphrase it. Uh, but it was along the lines that, you know, God didn't just simply want to take them out of Egypt, but he wanted to also take Egypt out of them. He wanted, and we see that, and there's an obvious lesson for us here, isn't there? Just like what you and I face every single day, God wants us to put away those vices, those things that we replace God with, right? If I'm, if I'm upset or angry, instead of uh, just ignoring my family and going hiding in my room, he wants me to face that with him, right? He wants us to, to get rid of those things that we've, we've put instead of him when we're facing these challenges, he wants us to turn away of those, those things that used to comfort us in the world, right, in our Egypt. And he wants us to place that trust in him instead. And he's trying to get the people of Israel at this moment as they begin this journey to rely heavily and wholly on him. And they want him to rely on him for water and we'll see soon for sustainment, for food, and, and of course for them to get to their destination which he had promised them. But instead of what they're doing, they're complaining to Moses. So Moses does what he has been taught to do, and he takes this and he intercedes before God. So the result we see is that bitter water was made sweet. So the bitter was made sweet. And Pastor Pat said it a little while ago when we opened our time together this morning, God makes right which is wrong. God makes straight which is crooked. That's what he does for us. He makes sweet what is bitter. And we have to be careful, though, just like we talked about. We have to be careful of where we find those fixes. We have to be careful where we find those fixes. Are we setting our eyes on Jesus, or are we trying to find these temporary comforts like alcohol, drugs, giving into some of our sins and temptations and addictions? Where are we finding that sense of comfort, those temporary comforts? And this leads us really to that second challenge that we see here. And, uh, and, and I read something this week about water, and we'll see, that, you know, so they, they traveled and they journeyed for three days. And I read a few times that water, you can only really go three days without water before you start to, to die. So we see these people, they, they go through this journey through the, the Red Sea and then they finally find water and it's bitter and they can't drink it. And they cry out to Moses because apparently it was his fault. The second challenge is it was a lack of food. The second challenge here we see is a lack of food. Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1 says this. He says, they, let, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And there's a large narrative that comes with this, and I don't, we can't spend too much time on it, so we'll right away jump in. The second response was more grumbling. More grumbling was their second response. So they already were spared from the Egyptian army. They just got water that was made sweet, now I'm hungry, so I'm going to complain some more. And we see again exactly how they respond in verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, remember at this point there's probably about 2.5 million Israelites. 
And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I was thinking about that this week. If I go to a restaurant, do you think they would give me an order of meat pots? Think I don't know. The second result we see here is that the Lord provides. The Lord provides. And he, he, he again resolves this issue and this challenge that the people are facing. This time is a little bit different. In verses 5 and 6, we see that, that God is going to reveal his plan to resolve this issue. And we'll see this progression of how God handles these challenges. Verses 5 and 6 read this way. Or four and five. Then the peop- and then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And all the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might test them, whether they will walk on my law or not. And on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily. So he's laying out this plan of how he's going to play this challenge out. So the Lord here, which is interesting, so in the first challenge we saw, Moses responded and interceded. Here the Lord heard them directly and immediately went to Moses with this plan. And he goes before the people and he goes to Moses to relay this to them. And I think another neat thing about this one here is now he's getting the people involved in in resolving their challenges. Now he's getting the people involved and they're taking part of this. So first God provides them this, this bread from heaven. And, and what we, it's later it's called manna, mana. And, and it literally means, what is it? The people are like, what is this? What is it? So they called it, what is it? So verse 15, uh, 13 reveals that the Lord also provided quail. He provided quail for them. Stephen Joel's favorite verse. He provided quail for the evening and manna to be reserved for the morning. And so this entire narrative, what it does is it it reveals God's power over creation. It reveals his power over creation, and he literally provides food from the heavens, just just fallen from the sky. And he pulls it out of the thin air, and he provides them exactly what they need for each day. I couldn't help but think of Jesus' model prayer. Give us this food, you know, give us this day our daily bread. There's, there's got to be a connection there. The second thing we see is that Lord, again, he, he makes them work for their food. And again, the, the lesson for us is obvious. What we see here is that they're, they're collecting each day. And on the sixth day, they collect twice as much. So they won't have to work on that seventh day. And it, and it literally says there in verses 25 and 26 and in verse 29 that they are to observe and rest on that seventh day. And what's interesting about that, it's really the first official formal institution of the Sabbath that we see. And, then, and, it, and, and we also see that there's a foreshadowing of these laws and commandments that we're going to see here starting next week. And the lesson here, again, is very obvious. God's going to provide for our basic needs, but he also wants us 
to work for them. There's a website out there that specifically draws out the theology of working. You know, the theology of working, there's a, you know, and it pulls out all these themes and this theology from the scriptures and how God uses the scriptures to teach us about work, right? And we see that immediately in the garden with the example of Adam. But he also expects us not only to work, but he also expects us to rest. He didn't need to rest on the seventh day when he made us and he created this, right? He, he did that as a, as a model and as an example for us. So the third challenge we see here starts in chapter 17, and that's the lack of water. So we're back to water again. Verse 17, verse 1 says, that All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So once again, we see that God is testing them, and there's a lack of water once again. So again, just as a reminder what we've seen from God already, pulled them out of Egypt, pulled them through the Red Sea, saved them from the Egyptian army. He already made bitter water sweet. He already gave them food and a never-ending supply of manna. And then now they're back to this issue with water. I was thinking about this issue with water. I have a hard time getting through a sermon without water let alone this kind of situation, right? I have to purposely keep my water away, otherwise I'm drinking every five minutes. Okay, so back in verse, and their, their response again, slightly different word, quarreling. They quarreled again, once again, against. Back in 16 chapter, uh, verse uh, four, we see that the Lord again was testing them. And here, according to Moses in verse two, now the people were testing God. So now they flip it, and now they're testing God. And here's the, the response from Moses in verses 2 through 4. He says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And here's one of my, my favorites coming up in verse 4. Verse 3, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? With, and our children and our livestock with thirst. Verse 4, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. I'm sure parents, grandparents, siblings, you've said that. What do you want me to do with this guy? What do you want me to do with these people? At this point, Moses is getting tired of these challenges too because it's affecting him. And he rebukes the people. And what does he do though? He cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. So this picture of his narrative, I, what I can see here and understand is that they're, 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 they're continuing on their journey to Mount Sinai. They get to this campground and they look around them and they're like, there ain't no water here either. And they, you know, and, 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 and again, they're just, they're frustrated and, and they don't understand what God's doing with them and through them during this time. So let's see what God does. How is the response from the Lord? And the result here we see is in uh, verse six, and it's water from the rock. Once again, just a remarkable way that God's doing and using to provide for the people. 
Verse 6 states that, Behold, and this is God speaking to Moses, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So again, God provides for them, and he does it in a positive manner. And he does it because his love for the people, and it demonstrates his love, and it demonstrates his power. Water from a rock. I don't recommend you try it. You might be disappointed. So let's be honest. With these three first challenges, these are big problems. These are big, big problems. Right? Three days without water. No, and they, and they finally get to, you know, this, this body of water and it's bitter. You know, and, you, and I'm thinking in my head, well, three days and you're dying of thirst, you would think you would drink it anyway. But apparently it was that bad where they couldn't not drink it. So the next issue was of food. Again, you know, we try not, I try not to talk about food during our sermons because it's just bad news. Right, but like what happens when we get out of here, especially for the kids, they run straight over to that table, don't they? Right? We can't get through a 35-minute sermon without food. Okay, so they, again, and, and people can survive without food. And, but the text is interesting because it implies that they were well-fed in Egypt. They were well-fed in Egypt. Again, meat pots. All right, so back in chapter 12, we saw, and this was just an interesting point here. Back in chapter 12, we saw that Israel left on the 14th day of the first month. And here in 16, we see that they ran out of food by the 15th day of the second month. So they, whatever they were able to take out of Egypt lasted them only a month before they ran out of food. And then they run out of food, and then now chapter 17 comes along, and then they run out of water again. Right? These are big problems. Let's face it. These are serious issues. This escape, if you really think about it, this escape from Egypt and this, this idea of them getting out of, of, of through the Red Sea, at that point you have to imagine that they were thinking it's going to be clear skies from that point forward. Right? It's like when we're sitting on the freeway and we get through the traffic and we get going and we get 50, 60, and for some of you 80. We think we're good, and then you see brake lights again. That's what—that's really what they're facing here, and and the conditions were not good. But here's the fourth challenge. Fourth challenge is war. Because the other issues were not enough, now I'm going to make you go to war. Right. So verse eight of uh, chapter seventeen says. Amalek came and fought with the Israel with Israel at Rephidim. Really? War? God? <laughs> All of this that you've just put us through, now you're going to make us go to war. That's a, a huge issue, right? So uh, we don't know a lot uh, about why this happened. The text doesn't tell us why they attacked them. We do know that there is a history from the Amalekites and the Israelites it's all throughout scriptures. Uh, Deuteronomy 25 is interesting. It reveals that they actually attacked Israel from the rear. So it was kind of a cheap shot, right? And here's an interesting thing. Their response was to fight. 
all right, finally, we have this united nation that's not uniting against God. They're not uniting against Moses. They're, they're uniting together to protect their people and their uh, assumed, you know, eventual land. So Moses, and what Moses does here is he has Joshua, which is the first mention of Joshua here. He, he, he gets Joshua to select men and to go and fight. And I love this story. So there's a couple theories. So Moses goes up to the mountaintop, and he, and he holds his hands up with the staff. And I think there's a couple reasons why this may have happened. I think uh, one commentator said, or a few commentators said, it was kind of like a posture of prayer, right? He's standing and he's praying over the people. Another one said that, hey, I'm going to grab my staff because God's done some really cool things with this staff. So he's holding the staff up there. And either way, the importance is, is really what the result of this war was. And the result here is that God wins. God wins. Right? So the, uh, the, uh, the story, I really love this story. It, again, it says that, that Aaron and Hur, they go up to the mountain with Moses. And, and soon they realize that every time Moses had his hands up, they were winning. But when he got tired and he put his hands down, they started losing. Right, so Aaron and Hur, they come up beside him and they hold his arms up. They're holding his arms up and they, of course, came out victorious. And you think about it, I don't know how long you've ever just held your arms up for, you know, you get tired and weary after a while. And if Moses was praying, that, that's a mental muscle that he's flexing there too. So he, there's, there's so much going on there. And again, this was the Lord's victory, and we see it as the Lord's victory because there was a memorial and there was a, a recording of this event in history for them to remember and to tell their ancestors and their, their uh, descendants. So the fifth challenge, we're finally there, the fifth challenge. And I'm calling this one the challenges of everyday life. The challenges of everyday life. And this is more than likely the, the challenge that we can probably most relate to. This is probably the challenge here that we can most relate to. Moses is tasked. This is like the only peaceful moment we get in this narrative, right? And what happens? Moses is sitting here and he's tasked with hearing all of the problems of all of the people. And now, most of you know, I, I worked in uh, human resources for about 10 years or so. And a big part of my job was hearing the complaints of all the people. So I can relate to this just a little bit. Verse 13 of chapter 18, we read that the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So the only peaceful time that Moses gets, he's listening to the people from morning to evening. And this challenge, the challenge was the amount of time it took Moses. In the chapter 18 and verse 14, it reveals the fifth response, and it reads this way. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. So the response is this. It was advice from a trusted friend. The response was advice from the trusted friend. 
And this is an interesting account. Jethro, if you remember, is his father-in-law. We haven't seen or heard of him since chapter 3. And it appears that he heard of all the things that was going on and, and went to go kind of see what was happening. And in verses 9 through 13, we see what appears to be a confession from Moses or from Jethro that God was Lord. Remember, he was a Midian priest, so he was not a Jew. He did not follow the Jewish God. So in verses 9 through 13, we see that he appears to have given his and at least confessed God as Lord. And, 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 and then we see that, that um, later he actually made an offering along with Moses and the elders. He made an offering to the Lord. And the next day we read, he observes Moses doing this task, because I didn't, I didn't know this, but it was apparently bring your father-in-law to work day. So he was there, he's observing what's happening, and then he offers advice. He offers advice. So the advice, of course, as, as you know, and you're probably familiar, it was to appoint judges. And the word judge isn't used here, but that's essentially what the task was. He appoints judges over all the people, and he chooses able men who feared God and who were trustworthy to effectively hear all of the issues of the people. And if there were big, big issues that they should not or could not handle, they gave those to Moses so Moses can take it before the Lord. Now, there's a couple ways we can look at this. So could we say, Moses, what are you thinking? Why are you taking the advice of man? Why didn't you take this to the Lord? So that's one way we can approach this text. And, and the second way, of course, is that. Why didn't you take this to the Lord? If this was a problem, why didn't you take it directly to the Lord? So we fast forward to Numbers chapter 11. Now I'm sure all of you are familiar with Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, we see that God actually kind of similarly appoints the same thing. And, he, and in a way, you can probably say he fixes this system that was set up back here. So he almost fixes this issue that we see here, and, and he kind of creates a more formal system of judging. And what we see throughout the scriptures, so the Proverbs, they warn against taking the counsel of the wicked, but we also see conversely that the Proverbs say, listen to the counsel of the wise. In the New Testament, it's interesting, so we see several directives regarding shared leadership. The most obvious is the 12 apostles with Jesus, right? And we see the appointment of deacons and elders in some of the epistles. So I'm thinking about this, and Pat and I were talking about this last week. I was thinking about like a financial advisor, right? Let's just say you went to a financial advisor who happen to be non-Christian, secular advisor. And they tell you, and they advise you that you need to save. They advise you that you need to, to give generously. And they tell you that you need to get out of debt. So, is that good advice or not? Absolutely. And it's biblical advice, right? So, Again, we can look at this, this account a couple of ways, but I think if it's something that's consistent with the scriptures, if it's something that's consistent with what God would himself do, I think we can listen to the advice 
of somebody who may or may not be directly from God. But see, and then we also can get, we take a look at this section, verses 19 and 20 give us a little bit of an understanding of the motivation. And this motivation here is that they, uh, Jethro was like, no, you, you get these people to handle these issues so you can focus on what? You can focus on the interceding of the people and of the teaching of the law, which is consistent with what we see in Acts chapter 6, for example. So here's the result from this whole thing and this advice, and the whole result from this was that Moses listened. Moses listened to this advice. And here's an interesting thing, and I I was going through this. Um, The NASB has a very different rendering of chapter 18, verse 23, than we do in the ESV. Here's what it says in the NASB, and it's really consistent with a lot of the other translations. For some reason, the ESV is completely different. The reason for that, I don't know. I don't know. It just renders it differently. I don't know why. And here's what it says in the NASB, verse 23. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people will also go to their places in peace. So there's an implication there that that Jethro says, here's my advice, but go to the Lord first. Take it to the Lord and if God so commands you, then go, and this will bring peace to you. And I think that's, again, it kind of helps me to think that this is really good advice. So earlier we said this, our main idea was this, that in all of life's challenges, you're not alone. And I hope you saw that through these five challenges that we reviewed. So here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with two small things to finish, and these are implications for you and me. So what are the implications for us? First thing we have to remember is we we don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to do it on your own. So that it could be a number of things. For each and every one of you, that it might be something different. Maybe you're having issues in your marriage. Maybe you're having issues overcoming sin. Maybe you're having issues at work that it could be any one of those things. Or maybe you're, 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 you're struggling with your faith and, and where you stand with the Lord, and maybe you're trying to do that on your own. And we all know that you can only get to the Father through his son, Jesus. So I ask you this, are you trying to do it on your own? Or are you taking it before the Lord? Or are you reaching out to others for prayer and for support? If you read the newsletter last week, you would have probably seen the plug from Pastor Pat in respects to our church app and particularly the prayer function of our church app. It was so neat to see what we saw last week. We had a family that reached out for prayers, and I would say probably half of this room reached back out with not only prayers but offers to aid them if they needed it. And it wasn't a superficial thoughts and prayers kind of thing. It was, whatever you need, let me know. I'm there. And I'm looking through those names, and because I know all of this, I look at you all, I'm like, I know each and every one of you meant it. If you said it, I know you meant it. Because that's, that's what we have here. 
right? And we see that we have to be together through these journeys. That's what a church community is here for. And God wants us to rely on him, but we saw through the passage that God also uses us to do things together and to intercede on behalf and even uses the advice of the father-in-law to help us to accomplish these things. So the next thing, as we just stated, was we need to bring our challenges to God. We need to bring our challenges to God. And I've, I've heard it here before, and I'm sure we've even said it before, but prayer should never be kind of that last resort. Prayer should never be that last resort. Prayer needs to be the first thing we think about. Prayer needs to be that first course of action. Not like, well, I tried everything else. I'm going to pray about it. We need to have that as the first thing in our minds. The default, if you recall from Israel, was to complain and whine and grumble and quarrel. But what was Moses' first response? To take it to the Father. And that's, the, that's what we need to follow. We need to follow Moses' lead in taking these issues directly to the Father. And we saw what happened when Moses went to the Father and when the Father interceded and, and he stepped in. We saw what happened. We saw what happened when, when Aaron and her lifted the arms of Moses. We saw the results of that. So I'm going to ask you this, and we're going we're gonna, gonna to go real cheesy here for a minute. So are you holding up the arms of your brothers and sisters? Are you holding up the arms of your brothers and sisters? Maybe somebody is worn down. Maybe they're battling with the enemy. Are you holding the arms up so they can get through this challenge? Or conversely, are you that brother or sister who needs their arms to be held up? What's stopping you from reaching out? What's stopping you from reaching out for prayer and support? I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look to your right and to your left, and maybe even behind you or in front of you. These are the people that want to lift your arms up. These are the people who you should rely on to lift your arms so you can get through this challenge that you may be facing today. What's stopping you from doing that? What's stopping you from reaching out to the Lord and saying, God, I need your help? What's stopping you reaching out to your brothers and sisters and says, guys, I need prayer. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I need you, God, and I need my brothers and sisters to, to, to intercede for me. We saw here in this passage today how powerful that is. So that's my encouragement for you this morning. It's how we face these challenges these challenges that we know are going to be there. It's how we face these challenges that's going to really matter. And it's going to help us in this journey of life. So are you ready to lift up your arms to your brothers and sisters? Are you ready to do that this morning? Let's pray. God, I know there's several people here that are struggling with so many different things. Health, sin, temptations financial issues. There's so many things that we, we right here in this body are facing 
each and every day. And I know about some of them, many of them, but there are some that I, 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 got, I get taken aside and I get surprised about. So I pray, God, that you just encourage us, each and every one of us in this room, if we need something, just encourage us to reach out. Go to you first, Father. Allow them to, to put it on their hearts that, that you're, you're that first resort. And then they got to reach out to their brothers and sisters because, gosh, we, we want to be there. We want to support one another. I've said it here many times, God, and I mean it. This is my family away from my family. And I want to be the man I am today without you, my Lord, and without my family. And I encourage and I desire for each and every person here who might be dealing with something to have that same understanding. So I pray, God, for you just to do a mighty work right now in the hearts of every person here and everybody who's watching online, that you, Father, speak to their hearts and that you give them the comfort that that you could only provide for them during whatever challenge they may be facing. I ask these things, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Goes with